you and I more and more are living a life that is blessed and happy despite the difficulties and the heartache and the trials that come upon us. This is the blessing that overrides, that takes us above the clouds to where the sun is shining, that allows us to see in ways we have never seen before. That is the blessing that Jesus talks about. This is the blessing we need to redefine in our lives right now. That's what God wants to do within each one of us that love Him and seek Him and serve Him. Have you ever wanted a life of great blessing? Well, I think if we're honest, we all have. And what a great comfort that God's word speaks exactly to what a blessed life looks like. Hi, I'm Craig Turnbull, and welcome back to Live in the Light, a radio ministry with the teachings of Pastor Robbie Simons, which aims to see your life and my life changed by the unapologetic preaching of God's word. Hey, last time we began a brand new series in the Beatitudes called The Life That God Blesses. And today we join up with Robbie once again to begin our look at what this abundant life can look like. We're praying for big change in all of our lives today. So let's jump right in and join Robbie in Matthew 5 verses 1 to 3 with today's message. Because he is God. So God is perfectly happy. Jesus Christ is perfectly blessed and happy. But here's the astounding part. The whole reason that we are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are to be transformed to become like Jesus Christ. So what that means is then, if God is perfectly happy, if Jesus Christ is perfectly happy in the way they define him, then any child of God is supposed to be growing in perfect happiness and blessing as well. God wants to bless you, loved ones. God wants to bless you with himself. God wants to bless you with his son. And God wants to take you to a level of blessing that will blow your mind and that will transform your heart. Because the very point of, again, being saved in Christ is to be conformed into the image of the son of God. And the more you and I are transformed to the image of the Son of God, you and I more and more are living a life that is blessed and happy despite the difficulties and the heartache and the trials that come upon us. This is the blessing that overrides, that takes us above the clouds to where the sun is shining, that allows us to see in ways we have never seen before. That is the blessing that Jesus talks about. This is the blessing we need to redefine in our lives right now. That's what God wants to do with in each one of us that love him and seek him and serve him. This is God defined happiness. And the starting point again is I see you need to be convinced that this can happen. And you need to be convinced that God wants to do this in your. You need to be convinced to throw away all the trivial things of our lives and to set it aside for what actually matters the pursuit and the love and the glory of Jesus Christ. This is why it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, again, Paul here writing, and he says this, he says that we are waiting for our blessed, there's the word again, 
The same word, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? We are waiting for our blessed hope. We are waiting for our perfect happiness, our fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment he returns, the moment Jesus Christ is seen is the moment we will know that perfection of happiness and of full blessing totally rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so, so if you're like me, then you read a verse like waiting for the appearing of the blessed hope of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, ah, it's gonna be a sweet day. And you stop and you think about it. And you're like, where am I gonna be? And what am I gonna be doing? And you say, what am I gonna feel? And anyone with a spiritual heartbeat right now, you have something in you. There's, there's, there's some sense of emotion as you hear about the appearing of the blessed hope of your great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something begins to feel within you because this is who you've created to be. This is, this is your greatest longing. It's for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for this world. It's for him. It's for your citizenship in heaven to be fully realized. And so just imagine that day when Jesus Christ appears. Just imagine, it won't matter what your week has been like. It won't matter how much money you have in the bank or don't have in the bank. At that moment, he returns. It, it, it won't matter how hard life has become. It won't matter what trial you've been under. It won't matter how much your heart has been breaking. It won't matter how much illness you have riddled through your body. It won't matter where you have been or where you have not been. The moment Jesus Christ appears, everything in life comes into perspective. The single instantaneous moment Jesus Christ is made known and comes riding on the cloud and the trumpet sounds and you gaze at him, you instantly will be filled with a happiness, with a blessing, with a fulfillment that is perfecting you because it's totally rooted in Jesus Christ. This is the blessing, listen, that will be, but this is the blessing that God wants to create and grow in us now as well. That you more and more can long for the blessed hope. That you can live in such a way that you long to see your Savior lived in your life more and more. That you will redefine happiness for the rest of your existence as long as you're on this earth because you're so transfixed and you love so much and you understand how great your God is. And you believe that this will put within you a living water, a strong, strong fulfillment, a happiness that no matter what happens, you will trust your God and you will say, I am blessed. How wonderful it is to walk into a hospital room with someone facing death and they look with a smile on their face and not that it's not without fear, but they know to whom they belong and they know to where they are going. And they can say in the middle of dying from cancer, I am blessed. This is the life that God wants us to live. This is the true blessed life. And we need to define blessing as God does. So let me say it again. This is not ice cream happiness. My kids get pretty excited when they get to go for ice cream, okay? That's not the happiness we're talking about. This isn't, I get a raise at work, I'm really happy. That's great. That's not what we're talking about. This is not for Christmas, I get to go on a vacation. That's also great. That's not the happiness we're talking about. It is infinitely greater than that feeling of happiness that lasts for a couple minutes. 
is just a God to find happiness. You starting to sense what the Lord's trying to say to you? Are you starting to understand where he's trying to take you? And listen, listen, you say, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I got this figured out. No, you don't. No, the very person who says that proves you don't have anything figured out. Any person alive right now and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like, there is a greater level of blessing and purpose and meaning and happiness that my God wants to take me because I haven't arrived yet because Jesus Christ hasn't arrived yet. The Beatitudes, this is the happy life. This is the blessed life. By the way, the Beatitudes, it's not like you take one or take two and leave like the other six. Uh, the Beatitudes are a package deal. We start in the first one today, which is so important, but Beatitudes are really are a measurement of the Christian life. So one of the things you gotta know here and too, and Beatitudes, the second thing about Beatitudes, this is not just for elite Christians. This is not just for the elders of this church or people you think are really great. The Beatitudes are the standard for all Christians. One of the things you do as you go through the Beatitudes is you look at your life and you say, do I have this happening in my life? Am I growing in these Beatitudes? Because if you can go through all eight or nine, depending on who's counting, you can go through these and you can say, There's not, this isn't, if this isn't happening in your life, that's a sign that you're not truly saved in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is laying this out as, here's what my disciples will not be perfect in, but will be growing in. It's a high bar, it's Jesus' bar, it's what he will do, listen, what he will do only by his grace. Let me remind you, the Beatitudes are not, I leave here and I try harder. The Beatitudes, especially today, I leave here and I fall on my face and say, God, I can't do it. Holy Spirit of God, you must do it in my life. Holy Spirit of God, break me, break me. And this takes us right to point number two then. You want blessing to begin in your life? This is where it begins right here, loved ones. This is where blessing begins. Uh, not what you're gonna hear in popular TV shows right now, right? It's this, I must be convinced of the joy in becoming nothing. I must be utterly convinced in my life of the joy in being nothing. Part of what I understand is even as I bring up that point, there are some people who are like, oh man, I don't wanna talk about that. I don't wanna talk about being nothing. I wanna talk about being something. And I get that too. But I'm praying that God will convince us of the beauty, of the power, of the joy in being nothing. Do you know how many Christians forfeit blessing because of the sin of pride? Do you know how many unbelievers reject salvation because of the blinding powers of pride? Again, this first beatitude's here for a reason. Verse three, blessed are the poor, happy, fulfilled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why does Jesus begin here? I've said it already, because you can't enter the kingdom of heaven without it. Without what? Without being poor in spirit. What does it mean that we are poor in spirit? It essentially means this, it's the person who understands that on their own, they are spiritually bankrupt. To be poor in spirit means it's the person, the last thing they're doing is walking around with a puffed up chest saying, I can do it. They are on the ground like a spiritual pauper or a spiritual beggar saying, when compared to the Lord and his holiness, and I see myself in my sin, I am destitute, I am broken, I am longing for the God, the only one who can save me from my state of sin. I have nothing to offer. Jesus Christ has everything to give to me. That is the person who is poor in spirit. They have a desperation upon them. That is the most beautiful thing we will see in this church. Men who are desperate for God. Women 
who are broken in the presence of God, children who are longing to say, I am nothing. Jesus Christ is everything. I mean, just recently being, being, being exposed to individuals within, within elements of the church and, and not this church, but you just see the pride that limits the working of God. You see the pride that, 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 that prevents the grace of God from flowing into to elements of church. The places in this nation, it literally brought my heart to tears, it literally wept over circumstances of seeing people who refuse to allow themselves to be broken because they're too cool for school, because they want it to be about them, because they're not willing to allow themselves to get to a place where they're so broken that they're actually vulnerable into the things of God, and they're allowing God to have his way to mold them and to shape them. It's so beautiful, but it's amazing how pride prevents us because we're afraid of not being in control. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will not be blessed until you are poor in spirit. You will not know Jesus Christ until you're poor in spirit, until you understand your sin, and until you understand what you need to be saved from in your sin, you're not gonna approach the cross and get it. You have to see Jesus as the reason Jesus died was that he died for me. And the reason he had to die for me is because I, in my own and by myself, am full of wretched sin that God cannot look at. That's why conviction must precede conversion. There is no conversion apart from conviction of sin before holy God. But here's the thing. When you see the person who's broken in their sin, they are abundantly aware of the grace and the love of God. The very person who admits to their sin and the very person who sees the holiness of God, that's the person that God draws near to. The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34. It's amazing. God's ways are so not our ways. God dwells with the lowly, but he opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble, but he rejects those who say, I don't need you, God. This is why blessed are the poor in spirit. It's everything in the Christian life. You're trying to find ways to express to myself and to you, the more you walk around your home with tears running down your cheeks into the grace and the blessing and the glory of your God, the more that you are walking around your home and driving in your car and at your workplace, and the more you come to church and you are singing these songs of worship and it's affecting you and turning your heart over and allowing you to see that God is holy and how great you are and I am so small and I am so significant and God, you save me. You find blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And unless you're poor in spirit, you will not see the kingdom of God. Psalm 138, verse six on the screen for you. Look at this. This is one verse of like dozens I could put up. I love, I love verses like this. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty, but the proud he knows from afar. Just think about that. The Lord is high and lifted up. He is awesome. He's perfect. That's his transcendence. His transcendence means he is above us. He is apart from us. He's so much greater than us. But then he regards the lowly as the theological terms called his imminence. 
that he is he's not only transcendent, God is so awesome and great, but he is, his eminence means he dwells with us. I mean, just think about that. The God of the universe, the God of perfection, the God of all glory chooses to dwell in amongst the people he's created, but not just anyone. He dwells with the low. He dwells with the people who are destitute. He dwells with the poor. He dwells with people who understand they have an impoverished spirit. He dwells with the broken. He dwells with those people who know they need to be fixed. But to the proud, because the proud are like, I don't want you. He moves afar from them. It's incredible. And hence Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit for they receive God. For they know the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably one of the greatest parables that illustrate this concept of being poor in spirit is found in, in Luke chapter 18. Why don't you turn there with me? Luke chapter 18. I love this whole chapter and I love this parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this should make total sense to you as I read this. The Pharisee and the tax collector, Luke 18, verse nine. Jesus also told this parable, notice this, he explains why. He told also this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You see? Okay, so what's he gonna say now? Like, this is very important. He's telling this parable to some though of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up to, into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Congratulations, Pharisee dude, all right? Then verse 13, but the tax collector, in the words of Jesus, a parable shouting out to us the, the path to the blessed life, but the tax collector standing far off, just picture this in your mind, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus explains now, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This man went down to his house saved. This man went down to his house blessed. This man went down to his house fulfilled and happy. Why? Rather than the other, Jesus explains, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Loved ones, here's the moral of the story. Look right here, look right here. You cannot win with pride. You will never win in pride, ever. It's a spiritual law set in stone for all of eternity. Pride will never win. When you're at home within your marriage and you decide that you wanna be in control and not your spouse, and you're gonna uh, usurp authority or you're gonna rise above and become a dictator, you will lose. You will win temporarily, you will lose in the long run. If you're a child here right now and you think you're gonna somehow uh, move out from under the direction of your parents and you're gonna become this defiant little uh, spoiled brat and you're gonna do things your way and you're gonna just, just say whatever you want, this and this, and that's pride, you will lose. You will lose every, like, no, I won't. Yes, you will. Every single time. This is, this is, you reap what you sow. 
If you are trying to go through life and your whole ambition is to become something of significance and you're gonna make people follow you and you're gonna get your name and lights and you're gonna gather around yourself a whole kind of economic system and you're gonna become some fancy, fancy person, man or woman, whatever, if that's your goal and you're rooted in pride, you will lose. When you speak to people in conversations and you draw the attention of the conversation to yourself and you talk so much that other people never get a word in and you're so full of pride, you will lose. You will never, ever win with pride. Every day we have multiple decisions of sin door of pride, Holy Spirit door of humility. And every time you choose pride, you lose. And every time you choose humility, you win. Every single time. But you gotta believe that. The one who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See what Jesus is saying here within these Beatitudes? He's saying, happy are the spiritual beggars. Just picture him, a beggar, but not a beggar trying to run a scam, a sincere beggar, a beggar who has nothing, who can't even look up at the person and just holds out his hand or the, or the a tin he's, he's trying to collect stuff in because he's literally trying to survive another day. That beggar is desperate for whatever he can get. And he just says, please help me. Please help me, I can't do this. That's the image of what we are to be in Jesus Christ. We are to be spiritual beggars. We are to go before the Lord and say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. Have you said that phrase recently? God, I can't do it. I can't do this. I need you, God. I, I have no ability in and of myself. I look to you, oh God, I must, I must have you move in my life. These are the men and women who are genuinely poor in spirit. John Stott said this then, he said in regard to, if blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, what John Stott says then, then most of the visible church and the visible church are the people sitting in the churches, which doesn't mean they're genuinely saved. He says that most of the visible church then can't be truly saved because they're not poor in spirit. But those who are actually genuinely poor in spirit are the ones who are genuinely saved. So take a little inventory of your life right now. Are you poor in spirit? Are you growing in, in being poor in spirit? Has is, is that happened in your life when you genuinely came to the Lord Jesus Christ? Think of how you talk. Think of the words you say. Think of the conversations you have. What are you, what are you saying? Is it ultimately moving in the direction of the glory of God or is it moving in the direction of glory of self? Think about your actions. Think about how you posture yourself. Think about how you move and, 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 and position things. Is it about you or is it about others? Think about your desires. Think about your ambitions. Think about your wants. Think about your fantasies. Think about the things that you long after. Think about your, your appetites. Is it about poor in spirit or is it about richness in self? Think about what you want people to say about you. Think about how you pray. Think about the things you pray for. Think about if you pray at all. Think about how you view your God. Is it the vending machine to God or is it, I'm destroyed in my sin. I cannot believe you love me. And the more you are destroyed in the reality of your sin, the more you know the love of God. That's the amazing part. The more you know the grace of God. How hard is this? This is so hard. Yet it's so right. This is the starting point even now to say, God, I can't do this, but I believe you can do it within me. You gotta convince yourself right now by truth that the less you are, the more blessed you become, okay? Let's just, let's just get that right out. The less you become, the more blessed you become. 
There's a great, great hymn, Rock of Ages. Here's one of the verses on the screen for you. Listen, it says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I love these lines. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for, for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. My favorite line. Wash me. Savior, or I die. So leave that up for a second. Do you know how little that is being lived out in the church in Canada right now? Do you know how little people are genuinely saying, wash me, Savior, or I die? I mean, we, we can sing these things and we can say these things, but to live that, like to live in such a way where we're saying, wash me, Savior, or I die? Nothing in my hand I bring, because reality is we got a bunch of stuff in our pockets, you know? And we're coming out, I got a lot to give to God, man. God's gonna be really, really, really pleased with what I wanna bring to him. No, the poor in spirit say, I got nothing. I got nothing. But I go to the one who is everything. And then you are filled with the one who is everything. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You wanna live a blessed life? You gotta redefine blessing according to God. And you gotta see this blessing lived out with the joy of becoming nothing. And thirdly, and finally, and briefly, if I want blessing, I must know this. I must believe that poverty leads to riches. I must know that poverty leads to riches. This is the ironies of the ways of God. So different than the ways of man. This is confounded man since he was created. It's this, it's that poverty of man opens the door to the riches of God. It's the ugliness of our sin that highlights the beauty of grace. It's the awareness of our filthy rags, which invites the robes of righteousness. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The second verse, he talks about, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." It was the reality of, I cannot believe as a wretched sinner, the grace of God falls upon me. I am poor in spirit. My name is John Newton. I start to pen a hymn that will be sung for the ages because of the reality and the power and the significance of that I'm so blessed that I've received the kingdom of heaven despite my sin and because of the love and the mercy and the grace of my God. Therefore, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Loved ones, you will not get truly rich until you are truly poor poor in spirit. This is the secret to the life that God blesses. Think about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. God grants to those who come to him in humility and love and he gives them the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ. I wanna to speak to anyone here today. You do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ calls you right now. And he says, are you willing to believe that as you become nothing, that you receive everything? Are you willing to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and my sin? That if you believe in him and you give your life to him, if you admit and believe and confess him now as Lord, that he is the one in the driver's seat now, that you can be saved that you will be set free. Listen, that you will be 
blessed. But you're here today and you're so sick and tired of the superficial happiness of our world and you desire life to become real for the first time ever. Jesus Christ calls out to you today. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who bow the knee before Jesus Christ. Listen, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I implore all of us, all Christians must see this and be excited and desire to live this out within our lives. Now, as I began, I, I understand this is hard. I understand that a lot of us will not be running out, in a sense, thr thrilled with this if we're in our flesh, but for by the Spirit of God, listen, there are blessings up for grabs today. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. Our mailing address in Canada is 500 Great Lakes Boulevard in Oakville, Ontario. Our postal code is L6L6X9. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light. Yeah, I wanna